Well, hello everyone. Welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us today. A Reason for Hope, in case it is your first time with us, or in case you forgot for any other reason, it is an hour-long live uh, Bible Q&A broadcast. We are here to answer your questions on the Bible. Uh, Could be, you know, a certain verse or passage of Scripture that... um, you're not sure what it means you'd like it kind of explained a bit perhaps maybe something you're going through in your life you'd like a biblical perspective what does God say about certain choices or directions or lifestyles maybe even other worldviews and religions how they relate to Christianity questions about of course what's going on in the world right now anything along those lines any honest question that you have as long as it's a an honest and sincere question as long as you know that we are going to use God's Word the Bible to find those answers not not what we think are our opinions, but as accurately as we can, God's Word um, delivered to you um, to answer your questions. That's what we are all about. We're on multiple online platforms. I'll be going over those in just a minute, um, different ways that you can send your questions in. My name's Dave Robson. I'm your host today. Like I said, I'll be with you on those platforms, receiving your comments and questions as they come on in, filled in all those um, platforms with us today. Pastor Scott Richards, he's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we are broadcasting from how are you doing today i'm doing good sobering yeah. times for sure but it doing is. well yeah it yeah. is there's a heaviness there is a heaviness around i know last night at our service there was about three or four times the people that you <laughs> that usually yeah. there people yeah, this want, is what happens when you do a prophecy update while things are hopping in israel exactly yeah. people yeah. want to know what's going on and how to respond and that good stuff also, and, also, and if people want to watch that they can right yes absolutely. on our website yeah yep, on our website or youtube there's an archive there facebook you'll find the archive from last night which was october 11th our wednesday evening service pastor scott did a prophecy update so yeah you can catch the um the the replay of that also monday night here on the show uh pastor scott did um a, a great show with a um, biblical perspective on the things going on is very informative and fascinating a little bit scary but also awesome <laughs> <laughs> and um, the day after Bo and I talked a little bit not quite to the same quality but little insights <laughs> into the other side of the perspective in Israel as opposed to Islam and the day after that we got more information so we shared it yeah and the funny thing too is I was looking through all the uh, archives and stuff the last time we dedicated a wednesday night to a prophecy update when things got this heated was in january of 2021 mm. really yeah wow it's been that long it yeah like not so well well it certainly was worth that time yep. yeah so not the last time somebody had a prophecy update yes. but we dedicated a wednesday night message to say okay everyone needs to know what's going on <laughs> yes. yeah yeah everybody just calm down that's right, right. <laughs> that's right yeah so, um, I love him. No. Sean, Pastor Sean Richards, <laughs> whose voice you <laughs> his comments uh, precede his, his intro. But uh, it's a reference to the Burger King commercial for chicken fries. It's a household favorite. <laughs> yes, that's good. All kinds of content you get yeah. on the show. Well, thank you both for being here, and thank you <laughs> for being so faithful to this ministry. Every weekday we're here, and we do appreciate you guys and your your love for the Word and your study and everything that you bring to this time. I know the viewers appreciate that as well yeah and once again i mean pretty much this <laughs> everything ever since things kicked kicked off in israel and the middle east um just watch some of our archives we've been talking a lot about it answering a lot of questions as sean mentioned the last you know the shows this week monday tuesday and yesterday as well and then the then the wednesday evening service so if you're interested in those things which i'm sure you are you can check those out but um especially the prophecy update yesterday uh, well, as I mentioned, we are A Reason for Hope. We are with you uh, live Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's here in Tucson, 
Arizona. Uh, don't be fooled by my accent. We are here in Tucson in the Wild West here where we're broadcasting from. As I mentioned as well, we're an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're all on staff here in one capacity or another. Uh, you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's a great home base for you. You're welcome to have a little poke around there to see things going on. We've got lots of events and Bible studies. You can watch archives of messages, all kinds of things. And certainly reach out if you have any questions about that. But if you go to that Watch Live tab, that will take you to our live page uh, where we're streaming right now. You'll see the video there. You can sign in with a username and there's a chat function where you can send in your question. I will be there with you receiving your questions for our show tonight. If you type ccftucson.online.church straight into your browser, it will take you right there, ccftucson.online.church. That's a good link to share with friends as well. Um, that will take you to that same place. Or again, follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com, the Watch Live tab. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events. You'll see all the live shows we have planned. So you can plan to join us for those if you so desire. We are on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash ccftucson, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson um, in, on Facebook, and you'll find us there. Um, don't forget to, to like and share if you've been blessed by this ministry. We'd appreciate that. And that's another way you can send your question. Just type your question in the, the chat box that's attached to the live video, and I will be receiving those as well as we go along. We have an app for your mobile device. Um, again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you look for that in your app store, you'll find our app there, and you can watch us on your mobile device. And then we have a channel on Roku as well, on Apple TV. So if you have a TV with those functions or, you know, um, Apple TV box or those things, Roku Stick, etc. You can go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and add us as your channel and then watch us on your big screen as well. On YouTube, the name of the channel is A Reason for Hope. So look for A Reason for Hope there on YouTube. We are live there as well. Send your questions in through the comments just the same. Um, if you go to that live tab, anytime we've been live, uh, it will archive there. So if you missed the show, like we mentioned, um, I mean, every night this week, essentially, we've been talking a lot about Israel. Uh, Monday night especially was just a great update, um, some uh, um, uh, biblical uh, uh, explanation of things going on. Um, so you can recap right there on YouTube on that live tab. And our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship as well. Uh, Pastor Scott here is on Twitter or X or whatever it is they call themselves these days. You know what I'm talking about. Scott R for H is his handle. Scott letter R number four letter H, where he posts updates on things going on as they come on in, um, things as they relate to, you know, biblical prophecy, end times, um, news articles from biblical perspectives, some funny things. Probably not too much funny at the moment, uh, but all kinds of <laughs> content now on Twitter. Yep. It's pretty sober right now. It's pretty now, sober actually. right now, yep. but um, joy will come in the morning. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, on Twitter, Scott Richards, Scott Arthur H. You can follow along if you're on Twitter yourself. We're on Rumble as well, not live, but we post content there if you are on the rumble platform a reason for hope bible q a and our email address questions for hope at gmail.com questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com you're welcome to send your question there as well if you're joining us on the radio we're certainly glad that you are please drive safely out there if you're on your drive time if you're joining us on reach radio or another radio affiliate keep in mind that you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded um, those other platforms i mentioned are live as can be uh, but you are listening to um, yesterday's show, basically. Um, so keep that email address in mind, questionsforhope.gmail.com, um, or join us on one of those live platforms some other time to send your question in. But we'll get to your question on the next show if uh, you send it in by email. So whatever platform you join us on, once again, we're so glad you're there. Send in your questions. I'm sure we're going to have a little update on what's um, been going on 
in the last uh, 20, 24, 48 hours. Um, but we'd love to get to some of your questions today if you send them in and I will throw them out here to our guests. So before we go any further though, we'd love to pray. As I said, this is about the Lord's word and God himself. So we want him to speak more than we do as Sean often says. So Sean, would you like to pray for us today? Try not to use that line. (laughs) (laughs) You can. It came from you, so. Yeah. Yeah. Dad, we're grateful to be here. We want to ask that you would be here as well. While your people are suffering and your church is grieving, we want to come together with your heart, not only towards these issues, but also to want to know the truth in a balanced and a level-headed manner. We're looking forward to your return every single day, and we're anticipating the crown of rejoicing that's going to accompany all those who love your appearing. And as this world is less and less appealing, we pray you would be all the more glorious to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, as uh, is usually the case, uh, whenever anything of prophetic significance, that is uh, events taking place in the world, that uh, dovetail with the signs of the times, Jesus told us, Uh, to look for in general uh, some of the uh, prophetic milestones uh, events predictions that are made in the scriptures uh, about uh, events that would lead up to uh, the uh, the return of jesus uh, especially events that would give us a high sign that we might be close to uh, the event uh, that believers in christ are looking forward to that is the rapture of the church where we are snatched out uh, before the final seven-year period called the Tribulation. Uh, we try to uh, keep an eye on these things, and uh, obviously uh, one of the most important uh, signs of the times that we can point to is the fate of the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel is the epicenter, as our good friend Joel Rosenberg uh, would call it, uh, of uh, God's plan to right this world gone wrong, and uh, Jesus is going to return to Israel when he returns again. Uh, And so very important for us to keep up on what's happening in Israel uh, because uh, as we've said many times in this program, Israel is the straw that stirs the drink as far as uh, world events are concerned. Uh, We've uh, been trying to keep you as up-to-dated as possible on our uh, X platform, Twitter platform, whatever you want to call it, on uh, significant events going on. A few things we'd like to uh, point out to you and then obviously if you've got questions especially about biblical prophecy, maybe questions about some things that have happened in the news. You want some biblical analysis on these sort of things. Uh, We'd be more than happy to entertain any questions you have relating to the Bible, even if they're not necessarily prophetically oriented. We're all over it. But uh, for our purpose here, uh, a little bit of a prophecy update for you. Uh, The latest uh, statistics that are in as far as this uh, awful event that, believe it or not, uh, Hamas has now come up with a name for. Their name is uh, calling this uh, Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. Uh, The Al-Aqsa title refers to uh, what they would consider the third holiest uh, shrine in Islam, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and uh, the fact that it is their desire to retake Jerusalem, retake the Temple Mount, and uh, kick all the Jews out. If you hear Uh, the uh, slogan being chanted, believe it or not, on our own college campuses like Harvard, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Essentially what that means is that uh, there will be no Jewish presence at all tolerated uh, from the uh, Euphrates River all the way to uh, the Mediterranean Sea. So uh, we're, we're seeing these things going on here. Uh, the latest uh, in, intel we have on what's gone on there 
there have been 1,300 plus Israeli citizens murdered as a result of this terrorist attack. Over 130 are currently held hostage. By the way, we mentioned this uh, a bit in our prophecy update last night, that uh, according to the latest estimates, there are uh, 14 Americans that have been verified as killed in this operation with over 27 Americans unaccounted for or believed to be held hostage uh, by the terrorist group Hamas. Uh, there are, have been over 3,200 uh, Israelis wounded, over 5,000 rockets fired from Gaza. Uh, Israel's response, over 300,000 reservists have been called up and are being put into place for a major operation outside of the territory, the Gaza Strip. 2,600-plus uh, uh, 2, terror targets have been struck in this operation. Uh, some of the highlights uh, from today, a really interesting development took place because, uh, as we mentioned to you earlier this week and we reiterated uh, last night, there's a really significant uh, prophecy that we find in Isaiah chapter 17 that speaks of the entire city of Damascus being destroyed. That has never happened in history as a prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. But uh, we uh, have uh, seen that, first of all, Israel communicated through French diplomats uh, to the head honchos of the Hezbollah terrorists as well as the Iranian mad mullahs <coughs> that if uh, Hezbollah launches an attack on Israel from the north, uh, from their base in Lebanon, while Israel is preoccupied dealing with Gaza in the south, that Israel will respond by destroying entirely the city of Damascus. Uh, that's uh, so uh, eerily close to prophetic uh, significance, uh, it kind of makes your head spin a bit. Uh, interestingly, there has been some, uh, some uh, exchange going on with Damascus. Uh, earlier today, uh, Israel took out two of the major uh, air airport uh, landing strips in Syria. Uh, they bombed the landing strip in Damascus and also in the uh, Syrian city of Aleppo. Uh, both of them were put out of commission. Now, why did they do that? Because en route to landing in the, uh, the landing strip in Damascus, a very highly placed member of the Iranian government was uh, riding shotgun, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, upon a uh, massive shipment of Iranian-made sophisticated anti-tank missiles uh, that were to be distributed to Hezbollah in Lebanon. Israel got wind of it, uh, blew up the, uh, the landing strips, and uh, apparently it was effective because the particular plane with that uh, arms material aboard and the highly placed Iranian uh, uh, individual uh, basically reversed course and ended up landing in Baghdad in Iraq instead. So uh, an interesting development indeed. Uh, the other thing that we've been seeing in the news today, there seems to be sort of a, a lull in things, although uh, Hamas is continuing to launch rockets from uh, the Gaza Strip. Uh, some of the interesting details that come up about this, because uh, we we're starting to hear some of this pushback we usually get whenever Israel defends itself. Like, oh, Israel's gonna commit war crimes, and oh, you can't go after citizens, and oh, you know, how could you cut off water and electricity 
to the Gaza Strip. Well, Wait, a, you were providing it? A, first of all, Israel is providing water and electricity to the Gaza Strip. Uh, Hamas does not do that. Uh, Hamas, uh, the governing body over the Gaza Strip, which is elected by vast majorities every time they run for re-election. Remember the old uh, Arab Spring thing where people were able to choose their leaders and so forth? Uh, Hamas uh, essentially runs almost unopposed. But one of the things we discover about Hamas is uh, as far as uh, providing goods and services and so on to their people, uh, they're very good at terrorism uh, because they've done nothing to be able to provide water uh, and electricity for their people. They have taken all of the resources they've received, all of the, uh, the foreign aid that they've received, and uh, devoted it to uh, build it, building military infrastructure and, and uh, purchasing weapons and so forth. So bad is it that uh, there was an article earlier today uh, that uh, uh, revealed that uh, the aquifer underneath the Gaza Strip would be more than sufficient to be able to provide the water needs for the 2.3 million uh, individuals who live there. But uh, not only has Hamas failed to uh, develop this aquifer, they've actually, uh, because they have been pulling out pipes, major pieces of infrastructure that they could dual purpose for uh, missile launchers and such. Because they've done this, the aquifer has been completely tainted by sewage and things along this line, and it's just a disaster. It's just a complete and total mess. And it's pretty common among Muslim administrations. There was uh, several cholera outbreaks in Mecca as well in the early 1900s, and it was because of this kind of treatment of their own water systems. Yeah, so uh, in, in fact, <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a diversion, uh, but uh, in Islam, Sean, they believe that, <laughs> oh, uh, that water uh, can't be impure, correct? Yeah, uh, just briefest of brief, there's a authoritative tradition and narration given to Muhammad and Sahil Bukhari and other Hadith sources, uh, the sayings of Muhammad, that's what Hadith means. And it basically made the observation that these uh, travelers were converts to Islam, and they asked him, could we do our ceremonial washings, our ablutions, in this well? And the well was used for the disposal of human waste, menstrual cloths, and they even noted a dead donkey was floating in it. And the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi said in his divine revelation and wisdom, no, not his opinion, he said, God revealed this to me, water is pure and is not made unpure by anything. So if you ever hear those Western scientists, those bigoted Islamophobes that say that you shouldn't drink dirty or, you know, tepid or tainted water, uh, that, that, that's all. With donkeys in it and stuff. Yeah, uh, that, that's impossible. <laughs> Got it. That's yeah. impossible. Make so, um, of course, we know that's better. That's why but... <laughs> you have systematic cholera outbreaks taking place uh, from time to time in these settings. And if yeah. you really believe that, Obviously, you're not going to worry too much about your aquifer being completely tainted by raw sewage and things along the line because water is pure. Mohammed said so. We got a revelation from God. Got to dunk so, the fly in your food if it lands in it because that's got the cure. So you know the the you, you begin to to see in all of this that uh, the consequences matter. But there's the pushback that's going on that says, uh, oh, you know, these uh, people in Gaza are victims. Well, the vast majority of people in Gaza support what is going on here. Uh, they're not kidnapped. Uh, they're not uh, dragged into this against their will. Uh, the celebrations uh, of the effectiveness of this attack 
uh, were pretty overwhelming. But the other interesting thing uh, that's come out of this with this pushback that is going on here is that uh, we're starting to see this pushback uh, materializing uh, in the news. Uh, for instance, CBS uh, got an incredible pushback on Twitter today when they posted a tweet that used scare quotes around the idea of uh, Hamas massacring, scare quotes, Israeli citizens. Now, that would be as silly to me as CBS News, say, reporting uh, in 1945 on uh, the United States uh, uh, infantry liberating uh, uh, Dachau and uh, coming into this concentration camp and saying that uh, U.S. troops uh, discovered that there were uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews that were, scare quotes, gassed in Dachau. You don't use scare quotes there. This is exactly what happened. And so the pushback against this and, you know, the fake news and all of this stuff uh, is, uh, is pretty tremendous. It's also very interesting. Our good friend uh, Joel Rosenberg on his All Israel uh, News uh, website uh, talked about how the president of Israel, now that the president of Israel is different from the prime minister, it's largely a ceremonial position, but uh, the Israeli president Yitzhak Herzog, Herzog uh, got a little bit testy with a correspondent uh, from CNN. Uh, Joel says this Yitzhak Herzog is a placid guy. He's a calm man, a real gentle diplomat. Uh, there was an exchange with a C, uh, CNN reporter, Becky Anderson, who said, quote, the collective punishment of a civilian population amounts to a war crime under international law. The U.S. has warned Israel to uphold laws of war. That doesn't sound like a question to me. That sounds like a statement. Mm -hmm. But suffice it to say, President Herzog responded by saying, I am quite disappointed that that's what you're asking instantaneously. Haven't you seen the crimes of Hamas? You've seen them. You were all there. Uh, he started getting visibly angry, angrier by the second. He said, so now uh, we're starting with rhetoric about war crimes. Really? Truly? 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 I just said that Israel abides by international law, uh, uh, operates by international law. Every operation is secured and covered and reviewed legally. With all due respect, I truly believe this comes totally out of context, uh, he said. Then CBN reporter Julie Stahl asked Herzog, so I know people have asked you, but how are you going to be able to mitigate this? Suddenly everybody's switching back to Israel, seeing it as the powerful one. Uh, Herzog responded, there's always a tragedy of short memories. I kept saying time and again and again and again for the last few months, every day there's a terror attack, every day nobody understood our situation. There's a lot of anger in this country because the people did not understand what we were talking about. There is no excuse to murdering innocent civilians in any way in any context. And believe me, Israel will operate and always operate according to international rules, and we will do the same in this battle too. So uh, really a, a stunning thing. Uh, in fact, uh, he then unleashed this. He says, you're really bringing up the question whether Israel is engaged in war crimes. When you watched all these Israeli Jews being butchered by Hamas, babies being murdered in front of their mothers, mothers in front of their children, it's astonishing. And he actually swore at the end. He says, how can you be talking about Israel being engaged 
in war crimes. You seem to hold, uh, you know, again, another reporter said, uh, you seem to hold the people of Gaza responsible for Hamas. Herzog rejected that accusation immediately, saying he said nothing of the kind. He said, if you have a missile in your blank, blank kitchen and you want to shoot it at me, am I allowed to defend myself? So you can see that uh, traditionally we've seen that Israel is portrayed as the big, bad, bad guy and these these poor, innocent uh, uh, Palestinians uh, are just, uh, you know, trying to have a home of their own. And, and uh, it's just amazing that even in light of the fact that we have verified uh, accounts now of beheaded children, uh, by the way, our own Joe Biden first uh, strongly and emotionally affirmed the fact that he had been shown verification of this. Now the White House is walking that back saying, oh, well, he was just told that by Netanyahu, and we're really not sure how, how accurate all that is. Well, you see the, uh, the face-saving and the backtracking on our Twitter uh, site uh, we had in the Odyssey files. Uh, uh, walking back means never having to say you're sorry to the mad mullahs in Tehran, which basically we've seen from our administration. That is their uh, number one desire to appease these individuals, to get back to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, Iranian nuclear deal, was the centerpiece of the Obama administration. Uh, they are not going to do anything that is going to irritate uh, these, uh, these individuals. You know, I, again, we see strong statements from our administration. We see Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, saying the United States stands strong with Israel. And then we see this walking back taking place. So, you know, as the old proverb puts it, trust but verify. Mm -hmm. As far as uh, where we really stand with all this, God knows. God knows the hearts, and God will deal not only with the enemies of Israel, but also those who call themselves allies who abandon Israel in their time of need. And my prayer is that that would not happen. Uh, the other detail that I think you all need to be uh, aware of uh, is uh, that Tomorrow, uh, the Palestinian Hamas terror group uh, has called on Muslims worldwide to stage a day of jihad or holy war, uh, coincidentally, a date that coincides with horror movies and the upcoming Halloween holiday, Friday, October 13th. Uh, he, uh, Hamas referred to tomorrow as the Al-Aqsa Flood Friday referring to the name of the operation in which it murdered more than 1,200 Israelis, wounded roughly 3,000, kidnapped over 100. The Middle Eastern Media Research Institute reported Hamas as saying, we declare next Friday the day of the Al-Aqsa flood as a day of general mobilization in our Arab and Islamic world and among free people of the world. It is a day to rally support, offer aid, and participate actively. It is a day to expose the crimes of occupation, isolate it, and foil all of its aggressive schemes. It is a day to demonstrate our love for Palestine, Jerusalem, and Al-Aqsa. It is a day for sacrifice, heroism, and dedication, and to earn the honor of defending the first Qibla of the Muslims, the third holiest mosque, and the ascension of the trusted messenger. These are all uh, reasons they give for why they should control the Temple Mount. Uh, they went on to say, we call upon the free people of the world to mobilize in solidarity with the Palestinian people 
and support their just cause and legitimate rights to freedom, independence, return, and self-determination. They called on Palestinians within the West Bank to rise up against Israeli soldiers and called on Arab citizens of Israel uh, to revolt against the state. Uh, so uh, the, the, the bottom line here is that there is a worldwide call to demonstrate uh, your support for Hamas by heroic acts, whether this is code for uh, a smattering, hopefully just a smattering, of terrorist incidents that are going to take place not just in Israel but around the world. Uh, I think it's probably likely. Um, I really liked uh, what Jesse Kelly, uh, a friend of ours who has uh, got a, a very strong uh, internet presence and is a uh, TV journalist now, believe it or not said, uh, I am not going to let any savage dictate to me what I do with my Friday. Hmm. So I think that should be our attitude as believers in Christ. I think uh, these terror groups are just that. Uh, they trade on terror. They trade on ginning up fear in the hearts and minds of individuals. And they, hmm. uh, I think, get great delight and control through all of these things. Uh, the other uh, issue that came up I thought that was very, very interesting, is that there is a continual debate now about the utter and total failure of very sophisticated uh, intelligence services mm -hmm. to foresee this particular event taking place. Well, there's a number of theories being floated out along that line. Uh, the tinfoil hat crew is saying, oh, it's all a big government conspiracy, and this is just another way to drag us into another war like in Ukraine and yada, yada, yada. It's the the neocons and the uniparty and uh, the Illuminati and you name the conspiracy group. Uh, they are all planning this. This was all a setup, if you will, and that's why nobody caught it. Well, that's certainly something that uh, some people would find plausible. But I don't think it's likely, uh, especially when you begin to hear what uh, members of Hamas are actually saying about how they got away with all this. The first thing that they, they've been saying, and these are their spokesmen and the people that are being interviewed there, is that first of all, this was not caught because one thing, and I'm sure, Sean, you can give us evidence uh, of this uh, from the background of Islamic history, is that Muslims definitely like to play the long game. Uh, they do not uh, just uh, go into things willy-nilly. Uh, they uh, will be very patient in terms of setting up a terrorist operation. Uh, article on the Breitbart News site uh, quotes an Islamic spokesman as saying that their plans for this particular operation, uh, Operation uh, Al-Aqsa Flood, as they like to call it now, began immediately following the fall of uh, Afghanistan to the Taliban. That's when they began planning this particular operation and what they were going to do. So it's been going on and plans for this have been going on a long, long time. When you've got uh, a long period of time there, well, sometimes it's hard to spot these things as being any different from the usual status quo of Muslim terrorists being Muslim terrorists, uh, gathering together rockets to fire and, and so forth. So that, that's, that's one uh, particular theory that I think has a little bit more heft than, say, the tinfoil hat theory that, that is out there. But another theory that is really interesting is this. One of the reasons that our, the intelligence services didn't pick up on all of this is that uh, Hamas figured something out. How do our intelligence services gather intelligence? Well, we have become incredibly dependent upon 
communication intercepts, being able to uh, say, you know, download stuff from someone's computer without them, uh, them knowing, uh, being able to intercept cell phone communication and things along this line. Uh, another Muslim spokesman said the reason we were so successful was because we didn't do any of that. We did things by meeting face to face. We did things by passing notes along to one another. We did not use the internet. Well, <laughs> when you don't use the internet and all of the intelligence services are, are biased towards trying to find out what's going on by way of the internet or by way of uh, cell phone communication, satellites and so on, um, how do you satellite out somebody sitting down with somebody in a, you know, a, a closed room and whispering in their ear, this is what we're doing right now. I think that's probably another reason why this was so successful. The other thing that came up, and this might be the best explanation for the whole thing, was that this operation's success shocked and surprised Hamas. They did not believe it would be as, success, as successful as it was. One Hamas spokesman said, you know, we really just thought that we would break into Israel, uh, you know, uh, kill a few settlers and engage with the Israeli military, bring a few uh, prisoners back, and that would be that. Mm -hmm. And we'd launch some missiles and it'd be over, like usual. But there was no pushback. And, and so once the wall, uh, the fence went down, uh, they flooded in and they just kept going to cities like Sederot and others where they could do such uh, horrible things. So nobody, in a sense, was more surprised with how this succeeded than the Muslims. Now, this is not to in any way, shape, or form minimize the fact that Hamas is on a very short leash and is an entirely controlled subsidiary of uh, the Mad Mullahs in Iran. Uh, I think where we are right now, you know, people say, okay, all of that, you know, kind of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking things and trying to figure out why things went wrong, but where are we right now? Well, where we are right now is a very interesting uh, juncture in this, uh, in that things are relatively quiet. Uh, the, the, by quiet, I, I don't mean that Hamas is not launching missiles at Israel. They still are. Uh, by quiet, I'm not suggesting that Israel has decided not to send 300,000 of its troops to Gaza for a major clearing out operation. Certainly are. Uh, but right now, we're seeing kind of like in a chess game. You know, in a chess game, what happens is a particular chess player will adopt a particular strategy. They will move their pieces into place subtly, hopefully not giving away their strategy to uh, their opponent. And then when all the pieces are in place, they strike. So what we may be seeing, and I think this shipment of anti-tank weapons that was intercepted going into Damascus, uh, may very well be that we're sort of in the middle of all of this. I don't think the Mad Mullahs thought that this operation was going to be as devastating as it really was. And so I think they're scrambling in a sense, uh, saying, okay, how can we make the most of this? How can we in turn be able to help uh, Hezbollah to be able to maybe seize this opportunity to crush Israel once and for all? So that I believe is, is what we may be seeing right now, sort of the calm uh, before the, the storm, as it, as it were. Oh, one other note I wanted to pass along to you. Uh, we posted on our Twitter feed a uh, live uh, update 
from our friend Amir Serfati a couple days ago where he uh, posted that at 3 in the morning there was a report that a huge flotilla of uh, drones was uh, entering into Israel from Syria and from Lebanon and that everybody was uh, to go to the uh, shelters. Well, immediately after that, uh, there was a report in the Jerusalem Post that there was no such incursion. There were a couple of guided missiles that were shot. There were some mortar rounds fired from Hezbollah into uh, northern Israel in the Galilee area, but no major influx of drones uh, was to be seen. Well, what happened? Well, we discovered what happened today. Uh, Israel's uh, uh, air defense uh, system, their early warning system, if you will, got hacked and that message was put out online that this was happening, mm. which when you stop and think about it is terrorism by any other name. You don't even have to launch a shot, if you will, but you can terrorize a whole population and keep them off right. balance. So uh, very interesting things. Believe me, we need to continue to pray. And, you know, I know that not everybody is physically capable of doing this. So, you know, again, uh, uh, really evaluate what I'm about to tell you based upon your health and so forth. But we need to pray. And uh, if you are of a heart and mind to fast uh, and pray for Israel, I think it would be a very, very good thing for us to be doing for their protection, for a, uh, a quick end to this conflict, and uh, really for an aligning of our hearts in a sense of mourning uh, over the fact that uh, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are uh, un under fire once again. So I think uh, more is done through the avenue of prayer than any of us could ever imagine. And uh, boy, when you pray and you fast and you seek the Lord, uh, we see in Scripture that it's a very powerful thing. It's something that the New Testament church did, something that we need uh, to do because it focuses your attention. You know, if you just skip a meal but you don't pray, all you get out of it is hungry. But when you fast, you give something up. Basically, what you're saying is, I'm serious about this. I'm going to stay focused on this. And if you can't skip a meal or something, there's other things you can skip. You can turn off the Internet for a day. How about that? <laughs> what? Talk about shooting ourselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but you can do these sort of things, set aside certain things that would remind you to be in prayer and, and to be lifting up the people of Israel during this time. Great. So thank you for that. We had some... Okay. Um, some questions come in, not, not related to current events, but valuable questions nonetheless. We can switch gears and jump into those um, here. Question from Syrup Fan, who isn't a Syrup Fan. Uh, what is the platinum rule? Is it similar to the golden rule? I have heard people criticize the golden rule and, and replace it with the platinum rule. What exactly is that? Is there a golden rule in the Bible? Yeah, it's generally coined with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, treat others the way you would want to be treated. It gives a self-inspection and saying, am I going to treat someone the way I actually know I would want to be treated in this case? And it's an important note that basically throws the platinum rule on its head. But like most things that are invented on the Internet, they sound great until they're thought through for more than two seconds. So the golden rule is that principle, the quotation from Jesus, that I look at myself in someone else's shoes. I know my heart to a degree. I know my desires. I know my problems. And I want to show grace because I can put myself in someone else's shoes. Now note, I can put myself in someone else's shoes. The platinum rule basically throws that on its head. It's in a nutshell, the statement, treat others the way they would want to be treated. 
Now again, like as you would want to be treated as they they would want to be treated. They Mm -hmm. dictate to you what proper conduct Mm -hmm. is. You don't determine your own grace, your own patience. Now, this is why this is stupid. When we're talking to people about the platinum rule, like you say, treat others the way they want to be treated. Well, they want to use these pronouns. They come from a troubled background. Mm -hmm. They feel uncomfortable the way you're talking to them right now. Well, that all sounds great, and there is a degree of patience that can be had towards people with certain sensitive, uh, sensitivities. For example, here would be a positive example of that. They want to be treated, in a physical sense, as if they actually have a cold, that you aren't putting pressure on them, you're not making high demands of them. But how would that be different from the golden rule, in that if I had a cold, I'd want to be treated the same way? Mm. Now, there are some people who, you know, Ron Swanson it from Parks and Rec and saying, I'm a grown man, I've had a cold before, get up off that couch, right? But the platinum rule essentially says, no, I have to read your mind. I have to know your heart. I have to understand your intentions and then live in subservience to that. And the problem with that is when someone comes along, for instance, and says, I want you to treat me as if I'm the superior here. I want you to treat me as if I'm the Muslim and you're the infidel, that you're under dimitude in submission to Sharia law. That's not just. That's not fair. That's evil. If a German in 1940 went up to a Hebrew and said, I want you to treat me as if I'm the superior race. I want you to treat me as if I can do things to you with impunity, and you are literally referred to as nothing more than a rag. That's cruel. That's evil. That's unjust. So a system where someone has to look at themselves and say, if I were them, would I want to be treated this way? requires me to think about my actions. The platinum rule requires me to think about everything and anything apart from what I can actually know. And even if they explain it to me and say, this is how I want you to treat me, that can change on a whim. But if on the other hand, I can know my own heart, I can know my own principles, I could know my own desires and say, in light of that, I'm going to presume favor on you, the same way I want presume favor put on me. I'm going to presume patience on you because I want to presume patience on me. That is a uh, more golden rule than the attempts at platinum, because even if you follow the illustration, platinum's more valuable. It's just sloganeering. And if you're going to engage with someone on this, illustrations might help, but like any conversation that's not manipulative, three things have to happen. Definition, illustration, application. Definition, explain what you mean. Illustration, describe it in a sort of way where we can both understand, like the Nazi or Muslim principle. And then application, show what that looks like in real life. If I, in the golden rule, explain to someone, no, I can't know your intentions, but I could know mine. And my desires, my intentions in this conversation are not going to be self-abusive. Your intentions can't be known. I can assume you're just like me until I don't, (laughs) but I can always assume I will be like me. And that's where the system falls apart. Yeah. You know, when everybody brings up the platinum rule, you know what always goes through my mind? Here's someone who never had kids. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Because if the platinum rule, now follow me on this, okay, well, let's take uh, the the three points that you talked about. Okay. Let's define our terms. What is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for such is 
the law and the prophets. Jesus said that sums up the whole law and the prophets. You know what he's saying there? You have to have a relationship with God for this thing to work. The, the platinum rule people assume a Judeo-Christian worldview that says, I really want the best for other people, that uh, all things being equal, we're made in the image and likeness of God, and we want goodness to prevail. Well, what if, say, for instance, I'm dealing with someone who uh, do unto others as they would want you to do unto them. Well, what if I'm dealing with someone, say, for instance, that uh, wants to go rob the Circle K, but doesn't have any ammunition? And they come to me and they say, hey, give me the ammo. Well, the platinum rule would say, well, I better do unto the, to them as they would want me to do. So here's your ammo. Go out and do whatever you want. Or in a more gentle approach, we talk about Nazis and criminals. A kid wants to be treated as if they're going to bed at their own time. Well, or, <laughs> you know, the, the fact of the matter is we see this play out in convenience stores and Walmarts and things along like that. Uh, why is the average kid screaming and crying? Because that kid wants something that's going to not only rot their teeth, but put them into such a state of hysteria that they're going to be completely unmanageable for the next few hours. They want sugar, dagnabbit. Mm -hmm. And if you're following the platinum rule, if I'm supposed to do unto them as they would want me to do, well, then, you know, I'm going to be giving them what they want irrespective of whether it is truly beneficial to them. Right. That takes it out of there. That defines uh, on the part of the recipient. Well, you know, you, you just need to give me what I want. You know, and, and so, you know, the, I, on uh, the gotquestions.com uh, website, you know, .org website, and if you've never looked on that, uh, you really need to. It's a great source. Uh, they said this, Jesus is the divine customer service rep of the platinum rule who gives us merely what we want. He is the faithful and good shepherd who gives us what we need. Like Jesus, we are called to put ourselves in the other person's place to truly understand what they need and what we should do for them. Christ didn't teach easy lessons, but difficult ones, some that can only be obeyed with God's supernatural help. The golden rule then is this challenging, selfless teaching because what it forces me to do as opposed to the platinum rule that just basically says, okay, what do you want? Let me give it to you, yeah. and we're done with it. I have to take a step back and say, I'm not just going to appease this person. I'm, just, I'm not going to mollify them. I'm not going to uh, accommodate them. Uh, I am going to take a look at this person and say, you know, the old saw, we all swore we'd never say to our kids, um, sometimes this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, mm -hmm. not to give you what you want in the moment. So, you yeah. know, once again, I love that line that Jesus is the divine customer service rep in the sky. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Great question, sir. Fan. Thank you for that. I hope that, that helps you out. That's, um, that's a really interesting topic. Is that a new thing then, this platinum rule? Is that something that's come about? Well, it goes with... all the way back to George Bernard Shaw. You oh, okay. Him? He was one of your people. Yes, one of my yes, people. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if it came with, yeah. uh, you know, tolerance and that kind of thing. Well, it was kind of... Were codified by an ethicist named Karl Popper, but he was borrowing on a lot of things that George Bernard Shaw said. Yeah, gotcha. So. And thus it's gained its prevalence through the internet like most bad ideas. Yes, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Cool, thanks again for that question. A uh, question from uh, DOP, D-O-P. Uh, could it have been a heavenly language poured out during Pentecost and then it transitioned to our languages on earth at that time? 
So God pours out an unknown language, and then that language becomes all the languages of the world that were understood at that time. Uh, they heard that taught before. A uh, couple, uh. couple of problems with that. Um, first of all, you know, and, and I can see why some people would be led to that. They'd go to 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, yep. but have not love. I become a sounding brass or clanging stone. Well, there must be angelic languages then, and you know, maybe uh, what was going on uh, at Pentecost was it started out as an angelic language and then sort of morphed into languages that people could understand in the there and then. Well, can you think of a couple of problems with that? Number one, there's nothing in the, the passage that indicates that this happened. They, it doesn't say they began speaking with angelic languages and then suddenly they're like, oh my gosh, it sounded like they were just babbling and now we can understand it. No, yep. there was an instantaneous understanding of those listening to what the disciples were saying. Individually, with yeah. ownership to not only their languages, but their dialects. Yeah. There was understanding that wasn't concluded or made up. It was what? Spoken. Right. And then understood. Yeah. It, you know, again, sometimes we will hear the term glossolalia uh, to refer to speaking in tongues. And, and glossolalia basically describes uh, what you will run into in some charismatic and Pentecostal circles that says God wants everybody to have the gift of speaking in tongues. Right. Therefore, uh, the way you get it is uh, you walk by faith and just begin to babble the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, one book that I read early on in my walk with God that was recommended to me uh, by a charismatic to receive the gift of speaking in tongues by the Happy Hunters, Charles and Francis Hunter, they used to write these books, mm. and they recommended saying the words, banana, 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 and then eventually God will loosen your lips and make it into a prayer language. As long as you never read 1 Corinthians 12.30. So, you know, when, you know, the idea, I, I don't know of any spiritual gift in the Bible, uh, and let's just remove it from speaking in tongues, talk about any other spiritual gift you want. Administrations helps, something like that. Yeah. Where you fake it till you make it. Right. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think the Holy Spirit works quite that way. Yeah. Uh, so you know, when we see people saying, "Well, could this have been a heavenly language?" and then it became a, an earthly understood language. Um, you know, we don't see any evidence in the Scripture for that. Uh, in fact, even in First Corinthians 14, where we have the care and maintenance of the gift of speaking in tongues, entire chapter in scripture devoted to it, by the way, uh, by and large. Uh, we're told that uh, a person who speaks out in tongues gives thanks to God, but a person who does not understand what he's saying is not edified. Paul said, I'd rather sp speak five words that someone's edified by in the church than 10,000 words in a tongue. Uh, you know, we are told that every time someone speaks in tongues, someone should have the gift of interpretation so that all people can be edified. By the way, uh, the gift of speaking in tongues is always an upward focus. Uh, oftentimes, in my experience in uh, charismatic and Pentecostal churches, you'll have about 150 people or so all speaking in tongues at once. It calms down, and then someone will say, oh, my children, I want to bless you. Well, no, that might be a word of prophecy, but that's not the interpretation of speaking in tongues. Why? Because the Bible says, he who speaks in a tongue speaks to men to God, not to men. 
In other words, it's an upward focus. So any legitimate interpretation of this, the gift of speaking in tongues is going to have that upward focus. It's going to be the interpretation of someone giving thanks and praise and declaring the awesome uh, works of God. And then in this case, misappropriating an interpretation that didn't come from God would be false prophecy. Yeah. So not yeah. recommended. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to, when it comes to charismatic uh, issues, sign gifts, things along this line, we have to walk a fine line in a sense, because on the one side of the coin, uh, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. First Corinthians 14 says, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but it also yeah. says this is how it's done. Two right. or at the most three, each in turn with an interpreter. If there is no interpreter, the person is to speak to themselves and to God. That's how it works. Right. No matter what we're used to in the church, that's what the scripture says to do. Uh, so we don't want to throw out the possibility that people have the gift of speaking in a language without learning it. God can miraculously do that. But, uh, you know, once again, in, in its most legitimate form, it's always going to be a language with syntax and, and grammar and so on, not just sort of ecstatic uh, blatherings and so forth. Uh, and uh, there's going to be someone around who's going to be able to interpret it. Uh, and, you know, the times where I've seen the gift of speaking in tongues legitimately used, and they've kind of been few and far between, but, but uh, I've seen it. Uh, boy, you talk about what's going on in Israel now. On 9-11, we had a prayer meeting at our church. And uh, a, a woman was sitting in the back. We were seeking the Lord and praying for Israel during that time. We thought, boy, you know, they're, they're definitely going to be involved with this one way or the other. We're praying for uh, our leaders and, and the people that lost their lives. And a lady in the back of the church uh, started praying uh, a Hebrew prayer. Now, I understood what she was praying because I took Hebrew. It was a very classic Hebrew prayer. And, uh, you know, I just thought, oh, well, that's neat. There's a Jewish believer here, and they're praying in Hebrew, and I think that's appropriate on a day like this. I didn't think anything about it. Well, after the service, the woman came up to me, and she was so apologetic. She says, oh, Pastor Scott, I'm so sorry. You know, I just really felt led to lead out in my prayer language, uh, but there was no interpretation, so I can see that it was out of line. Uh, I looked at her and I said, what? I mean, I said, you don't speak Hebrew? She said, not a word. And I said, well, here's what you said. Mm. Now, was that because my eyes got glassy and suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon me and I received the gift of interpretation? No, it's because I survived a year of Hebrew in grad school enough to be able to understand what she was saying. But it was so natural that it was supernatural, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I mean, awesome. I, I, I just, I knew because I'd studied it. Uh, so, you know, and, and I could point to some other examples along that line. It doesn't happen a lot. No. But when it does, it's really, really powerful. And yeah. oftentimes it's something, like we see at Pentecost, that rocks the world of non-believers as well. And it's always God's reason for enacting any miracle in the first place. Every time that revelation is going to be given, God always says, I'm going to back up these words with deeds. How do these people speak in these languages? They're Galilean, yet they're speaking in all these various languages and dialects even. And Peter stands up and says, in light of what you've heard, we're not drunk. It's only, what, 8 in the morning? 9, yeah. yeah. Here is why. And it was in order to glorify God. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again... Um, we don't want to go either way. We don't want to just say that anybody who says, wow, that felt good. I'm sure that was from God. 
you know, that that's, that's enough, we are to, uh, again, test all things and hold fast what is good, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19 goes. We're supposed to evaluate uh, spiritual manifestations, and just because someone said it felt good, that's not going to carry the day. Yeah, so super quick, um, there's a follow-up question from Doc as well. Also, how did the people know that they were speaking to God? One who speaks in tongues is uttering mysteries to God. Yeah, how did they know? Do we know just because the Word tells us that's what it is, or how do they know they I, were speaking I would say it? that in Acts chapter 2, we see that the people there uh, were basically looking at each other and saying, how is it that uh, we who are from you know, Cappadocia and Bithynia and uh, the Cyrene language of, of Egypt, both uh, Jews and proselytes uh, from all over the Roman Empire, how is it that we hear them in our own languages right. declaring the awesome deeds of God? Yeah. So it was the yeah. miraculous nature of it that yeah that, well yeah <laughs> people were like these are these Galileans they're hayseeds a bunch yeah. of hicks right how did they become so <laughs> articulate and uh, understand our language so yep. so close so quickly so yeah it was uh, definitely a known language the individuals were not converted uh, who heard uh, this message at this point they had not yet heard the gospel but that was what got their attention and then Peter preaches the gospel. 3,000, not counting women and children, come to know the Lord. Yeah. So even a non-believer could figure out what was going on in right. that situation. Absolutely. Great. So, so just note that point. Non-believers, they'll know the language. Believers, they'll know the language. It's not, oh, this is what I think you're saying. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you for your questions today. We'll be back again, same time and same place tomorrow. For more questions, you can reach out to us uh, Questions for hope at gmail.com with your question, and we'll get to more of those tomorrow. Thank you guys. Thank you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Absolutely. Amen to that. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.